0: But anyway, okay, so we have been in the book of Acts in the last couple of weeks. What I love you, thank you. Appreciate it. Don't ever, ever touch my play Doh. I tell that to my kids all the time. Kick and plugs over. Oh, we are gonna have some fun. I got to go to Fish Fest last night for the first time. So fun. For those of you who are with me, it was a lot of fun. For those of you who decided to stay to the very end, I know I missed, like, the best part, whatever that was, but I didn't have to spend two hours in the parking lot getting out, so that was awesome, too, because I got extra sleep. I know it was. All right, so we are in the book of Acts, and I am 100% ADD at this moment, so we're going to try to just get, jump right in. Um, by the way, while we were up at the men's retreat, which we had a wonderful time as a bunch of guys, many of you were down here with John Blue, and I, and I just have heard nothing but wonderful things about that time. And for those of you uh, that... There are some Sundays where you just can't make it. Maybe your kids are playing sports or there's just something going on and you just can't get here on a Sunday. Please know that we've got another church that meets here on Saturday night. We love them. We are not in competition with them. And if you want to go there and worship God with them, you're more than welcome to. We encourage it. And then if you, if you sleep in on a Sunday morning and you can't get here, we've got another church, Cross of Christ, that meets here on Saturday afternoon. And you, whatever, you know, you know, you're following me. Okay, so. That's the beautiful part about this is that we are one family. There is only one church. We may have different iterations all throughout the city, but there's only one church and we're not in competition with one another. All right. So we have been in the book of Acts. And for those of you, I got to clap for that. Amen. Sweet. We're going Pentecostal today. We've been in the book of Acts. And for those of you who are just picking up in the story or maybe just as a reminder, The book of Acts begins with the birth of the church. Jesus, right before he ascends into heaven, goes, Listen, guys, stay here in Jerusalem because you're going to continue to be my witnesses, but stay here in Jerusalem until I send the Holy Spirit. And once the Spirit comes upon you and fills you up, then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to those untouchables in Samaria, and then ultimately to the ends of the earth. And sure enough, that's what happens. And we begin to watch vignettes as this little church that goes from a a group of huddled disciples who are terrified that the same fate that befell their master, their rabbi, Jesus, is going to befall them. And then all of a sudden, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they just unapologetically go out into the streets and begin to proclaim Jesus' power and the gospel message in different languages by the enablement of the Holy Spirit. And the church begins to grow. And we begin to see how some... Led by a guy named Saul, began to try to crack down and try to persecute the church. And two weeks ago, when Lee last spoke, we saw how this guy Saul was trying to destroy this movement of the Holy Spirit. Trying to, to, he he presided over the first killing of a martyr. And then God got a hold of Saul's heart and radically transformed him. And this guy Saul, who was the greatest opponent of the gospel message at that point, became the Apostle Paul, who became the greatest proponent. And as the book of Acts proceeds, we're going to see more of Saul or or Paul. But today, our story is going to take us back to uh, a pretty well-known person, a guy named Peter. He was one of the first apostles. He was a fisherman by trade. His original name was um, Simon, but Jesus changed his name to Peter, the rock. And he goes, you know, Peter, I love, both Mike Jones and I really identify with Peter because he's impulsive. He, he's, he's all in. He doesn't always do it perfectly, but he's going to give 100%, right, Mike? And I, and I totally identify with him. And there are several others of you who are like that. And Peter's one of these guys who is all in. And Peter begins to walk around and sharing the gospel. He's going to different parts of of, of Israel, just kind of checking in with people, sharing the good news and all of those kind of things. And so we're going to pick up in chapter nine, verse 32. So if you have a Bible turn there and and, and as you're turning there in Acts chapter nine, I just want to let you know, we are going to cover a lot of real estate today. We're going to cover the equivalent of about two chapters worth of material, which means I'm not going to be able to take a lot of time on any one part. But what we're doing here in Acts is we're trying to really wrap our arms around particular stories or vignettes and take them from beginning to end. So some days are going to be pretty brief and other days we're going to try to cover a lot of territory. Today just happens to be one of those days we're covering territory. So as Peter traveled around the country, again, this is Acts chapter 9, verse 32. He went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Now get up, roll up your mat. And immediately Aeneas got up. And all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon, which is a a nearby village, saw him, saw this man who had been crippled, who was all of a sudden walking around, and they turned to the Lord. This is yet another example of how the Holy Spirit precedes the sharing of the gospel with a powerful work, and that's enough to get people to listen and pay attention and ultimately to give their hearts to Jesus. Verse 36. Then in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas, but I would probably stay with her her Aramaic name Tabitha. Whatever. She was always doing good and helping the poor. Well, about this time, she became sick and she died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Now, Lydda is near to Joppa. Remember, Peter is in Lydda. Joppa is about 10 miles to the coast. Joppa is a port town. And the, the, the disciple or the, the believers in Joppa knew that Peter was there in Lydda. So when they heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. They don't know what to do. Here is a woman who is in, instrumental in their community and is a wonderful, loving person. They say, go get Peter. Maybe he can do something. Peter went to them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees, and he prayed. Then turning towards this dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. And he took her by the hand. I'm sorry, she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. Then he took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. And then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. Can you imagine for a moment what that would be like? Walking out of the room with a woman that you love and care for, and she's stone dead. And the next time you walk in there, she is sitting up, breathing, blinking, talking. Can you imagine what that would do to your faith? Imagine what that would be, that kind of story that you could share with other people of what God had done. And so naturally, this became known all over Jaffa, and many people believed in the Lord, understandably so, right? I mean, could you imagine what would happen if God just said, hey, Prince, arise. Muhammad Ali, in the name of Jesus Christ, arise. Could you imagine what would happen? And there's a part of me that goes, man, does this still happen? I know that it's almost like we read that and go, oh, yeah, you know, that's just what happens in Acts. But does that happen today? And while I can't say that I've ever seen anybody who had ceased breathing, whose heart had stopped beating, whose blood had stopped pumping, actually come back from the dead. I know of one friend who has. Can we throw that picture up on the board for a second? This is my friend, Dave Everett. He's a a minister out in Cambodia. And my my little brother, Tyler, actually spent a summer ministering out in Cambodia with him. And here's the thing. He's on a motorcycle because Cambodia is a developing third world country. Most of the the people that he ministers to are in these little backwater villages that don't have paved roads. The only way he can get there is via motorcycle. And Cambodia has been through some horrendous things over the last few decades, particularly under the, the government that they had at one point called the Khmer Rouge, who in, in much the same way that Nazi Germans tried to crack down on their own people and tried to cleanse a lot of their people and use death as, an, as a motivator, the Khmer Rouge did the same thing. So many, many people in Cambodia were destroyed. They had their own genocide. And Dave and his team are out there in Cambodia ministering to the least. To those who are out in the villages, they have no running water, they have no medicine, they have no hospitals. And what he does is they use their motorcycles, they come into these little towns, and they will bring medical supplies and other needed things, and they will address the felt needs of the people in that village because it gives them then the opportunity to begin sharing the gospel with them. And... and when I was spending some time with David, he, he began to share the story with me about how he was in one of these little villages one time. And this woman comes up to him, cure streaked eyes, and this dirty little bundle of rags. And she hands it to him, and he kind of takes this thing, and he opens it up, and it's a baby inside. But this baby is stone cold dead. I mean, he, 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 it's not like he has discernment to recognize it. He looks at the thing, and it has no color in it. The skin is cold to the touch. Even the eyes that are closed are sunken as if its body is starting to shrivel. And he's going, what does she want me to do? I mean, the first thought that went through his mind is, honestly, does she not realize that her baby's dead? She wants me to... Okay. And so he prayed over the baby. Hands it back to the mother. And he watched, kind of melancholy, as she walks away. And he just goes, all right. The next morning he's he's having a cup of coffee wherever he was at and and all of a sudden he sees this woman running through the street screaming and he's like, now what? Like is she gonna come yell at me that I didn't, you know, bring her baby back to life or something? But when she got up to him she had tears in her eyes And it wasn't screams of pain. It was screams of joy. And she hands him the same bundle that she had been carrying the day before. And he pulls back the sheets. And there is the same child he prayed over with skin color. The eyes are open. It's breathing. And it's it's alive. And he's just going, you know, I get goosebumps even telling you this. But he goes, in that moment, in that little village, God came to those people. And you better believe that the gospel message advanced powerfully that day. That's one of many examples I know of people who have come back from the dead. It's one, though, that I know from somebody that is a trusted source. And I can't help but ask the question, why don't we see that more often? I mean, could you imagine what would happen if if literally somebody prayed over Muhammad Ali's body and he rose from the dead? What that would do in advancing the gospel? And yet, and I can't, I can't speak for God, I can't tell you why He does or does not do these things. I've got just a couple of thoughts. First, I suspect one of the reasons why we don't see these kind of miracles is because we haven't really put our trust in God so much as we put our trust in other things, like modern medicine, because when my kids get sick, my first impulse isn't typically to pray over them and trust God to heal them. My, my impulse is to call up, the doctor and say, we need to bring him in, we need to get some antibiotics. And and hear me, I am not suggesting we go the Christian science way of going, we are going to swear off all medicine and all doctors and we are only going to pray. That's not what I'm suggesting. But I am saying that when we really kind of peek under the surface of our motivation and our thoughts, I would suspect that our primary trust is not in God. It's in something else. But one other thought, I would suggest that in fact all of us have seen and have experienced dead brought back to life. Maybe not people who had stopped breathing, but every single one of us were dead in our sins. Every single one of us had been separated from the eternal life that God created us for, that eternal intimate relationship with him. And then the Spirit tugged on our hearts and said, all you need to do is come to me and I will give you rest. And how many of you here have experienced a renewed life? Your life has been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit working in you and a faith in Jesus Christ. Raise your hand if you have experienced that. I know I have. I've seen the power of God working and that transformation, the kind of transformation that we see with Peter who goes from some guy who's so terrified that he might be linked with Jesus that he tells a little girl around a campfire, I don't know the man, becomes a guy who stands up in front of the very people who basically condemned his rabbi to death and said, yes, I believe in Jesus and yes, Jesus is the way and you can tell me to shut up all you want but I won't stop because I'm going to obey God more than you. That is a transformed individual. And I could take the rest of the time to just begin to pull out individuals in this room who I have seen a transformed life, life from the dead. We've got to keep moving. So if you are one of those people, may I ask you a question? May I ask you a favor and tell other people your story? If you've experienced that and you've never shared that with myself or Leah or one of the elders, please tell us because we want to know. We want to celebrate that. One of the things we want to do as a church is be a church that tells stories and celebrates what God has done. So tell us because then we will have the opportunity to invite you to share those things rather than me continuing to move on now. But since you haven't, let's keep going. <laughs> All right. So Peter stayed in Joppa. This is verse 43 of chapter 9, the very last verse of that that chapter that we were just reading. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Now let me stop for just one second. Because we, we talk about that town Joppa. There's another place that Joppa comes in to the God story throughout Scripture. And that is back there in the Old Testament with a guy named Jonah. God told Jonah, hey, I want you to go and spread the gospel to the Gentiles. Particularly this town in Nineveh. And Jonah did not want to, not because he was afraid that they wouldn't listen, but because he was afraid that they would and that God's grace would fall on those dirty, despicable Gentiles. And so you know what he did? He went to Joppa and he bought a ticket on a boat in the opposite direction from Nineveh. He tried to run from God. And God said, you want to try to run? Fine. Here's a big storm. And and Jonah took a bath. They threw him in the water. And then a big fish came and swallowed him up, took him to Nineveh, spit him up on the ground, and then he still got to go and spread the gospel, and the Ninevites actually repented. Okay, So he tried to resist it, and God's like, no, you don't get out that easy. So Peter finds himself in that same little seaport that Jonah found himself in. And meanwhile, about 30 miles north along the coast, in Caesarea... There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what is known as the Italian regiment, meaning that Cornelius is a Roman. Not only a Roman, he's a Roman centurion, meaning that he is a commander of a hundred people. He is the very type of person that the Jews feel are the, they are the, the oppressors. And yet, Cornelius has a respect, a profound respect for the God of Israel. Verse 2. He, Cornelius, and all of his family were devout and God-fearing. So he's not any ordinary Roman. He gave generously to those in need and, they, he, and he prayed to God regularly. Verse 3. One day at about three in the afternoon, Cornelius had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, and that was enough to like make this man who commands a regiment begin to shake in his boots. And Cornelius stared at him in fear, which is the typical response when somebody sees an angel in in the Bible, apparently. What is it, Lord, he asked? And the angel answered, your prayers and your gifts to the poor has come up as a memorial offering before God. So now send men to Joppa, some 30 miles south, and bring back a man named Simon, who's called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Well, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants, as well as a devout soldier, who was one of his attendants, and he told them everything that had happened, and he sent them to Joppa post-haste to go get this man named Peter. Meanwhile, about noon the following day, so 30 miles, it's going to take them more than a couple hours. We could drive that thing pretty quickly. This is going to take them at least a day to get down there. So, around noon the following day, as they were on their journey, these men coming to get him, and they were approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. While he was there praying and having this vision, he saw in heaven being opened up and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. And in it, it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Why does that matter? Because these animals were a mixture of both clean and unclean animals. The Jews had this very strict diet. You've probably heard of it. It's called the kosher dietary laws. And it was something that was tremendously important to the Jews. Something, in fact, that God had established. You don't have to turn here, but back there in Leviticus chapter 20, this is what God said to his people. He said... I am the Lord your God who has set you apart from the nations. You must therefore make a distinction between clean and unclean animals, between clean and unclean birds. Do not defile yourselves by any animal or bird or anything that moves along the ground. Those that I have set apart as unclean because you are a holy people. Holy to me. And holy just means to be set apart. You are a holy people me. And I, the Lord your God, am holy, and I have set you apart from all the nations to be my own. Now, all of a sudden, Peter, who has been very intentional about keeping these dietary laws his entire life, in his vision sees a sheet being lowered down, and in that sheet are both clean and unclean animals mixed together. And this is what he hears from God. A voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. This would be tantamount to somebody telling a vegetarian, here's a double-double. Enjoy. So good. Amen, right? David and Teresa are like, oh man, give me four weeks and we're on that. Animal style. Come on, animal style for sure. Yeah, literally. Thank you, Jaime. Surely not, Lord, says Peter. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. What I I love about Peter is he just tells it how he thinks it, right? Here, the Lord is saying, kill and eat. And he goes, no! But it's not just because that sounds gross to him. It's because he recognizes that the kosher laws are part of the very fabric that make the Israelites, the Israelites that make the people of God a set-apart nation. This is something that is unique to us. And so for me to do that, is to cheapen my identity as a person of God. No, that's his his knee-jerk reaction. But then the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now I want to point out here for just a moment that God's not actually talking to Peter at this point about what he's going to have for lunch. What Peter doesn't realize at this moment is that God is actually talking to him about people. And that's going to become more clear as this story goes on. But at this point, Peter is confused. And as often happens with Peter, he doesn't often get it on the first try. So God's going to give him a couple more tries. So this happened, verse 16, this happened three times, just in case he didn't get it. And then immediately the sheet was taken back into heaven. Well, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision... The men sent from Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and they stopped at the gate. And they began to knock and call out, hey, is Peter in there? While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the man, I'm the one you're looking for. Why'd you come? And the men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. And a holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Okay, so Peter invites them in. They stay the evening. The next morning they all get up. And Peter gathers up six other Jews who were staying with him. And he says, guys, I want you to come along. One of the things I love about the early church is they were intentional never to go by themselves, particularly when they were going to go spread the gospel, when they were going to go share. They typically took somebody along with them, both to be a witness to what they're saying, somebody to corroborate what they're saying, but also in case something went squirrely, they have somebody else there to back them up and go, hey, this is what I saw. Another set of eyes. God bless you. So the next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers in Joppa went along. About six other Jews, we'll find out later. The following day, because again, it's 30 miles, so it took him about a day to get there. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea and Cornelius was expecting them. And he'd called together his relatives and his close friends. What I love about Cornelius is he is so... Convinced that whatever Peter's going to bring is going to be worthwhile, that he's not going to share this just by himself. He's going to share it with his entire family and everybody that means something to him. He's gathered them all together in his house for whatever this guy Peter, whom he's never met, is going to tell him. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and he fell at his feet in reverence. You know, thank you, you're here. I mean, and this is part probably of Cornelius' Roman upbringing because they believed in many gods. And here is a, a man who is supposedly sent from the gods. And he's treating him with reverence. But listen to Peter's response. Peter said to him, get up, stand up. I'm only a man myself. Come on, let's go. And they go inside. And while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, you guys are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or even visit a Gentile. Now, I spent some time this week looking, where, on, where in Scripture is that? Where in the Old Testament did God say you may not interact with a Gentile at all? And while there are places that tell, where he tells them be cautious not to give your hearts, not to intermarry and all of those kind of things, you need to protect yourself because you are a holy people that need to be set apart. Nowhere does he say you cannot interact with them. In fact, this became more of a social custom. Actually, Do we have the, the quote up there from that rabbi? Yes, no, no, nope, next one. There we go. This is a rabbi. This is not from scripture. This is simply the writing of a rabbi to his disciples. He says, keep yourself separate from other nations and do not eat with them. Do not imitate their rights nor associate yourself with them for all of their works are unclean and their ways are a pollution. This was the mindset that the Jews had towards Gentiles. And so a social custom arose that we simply keep ourselves separate. You guys are going to just go ahead and do whatever you're going to do, but we are going to serve our God and we are going to do it in isolation. We will remain separate because God has called us to be a set-apart people. The Jews often forgot about the fact that God called them to be set-apart so that they could be a witness to the other people, so that they could be a holy nation and a priesthood that ministers to the other nations. They forget that part, but they certainly got that whole part about being set-apart. So... Peter says, verse 28, you are well aware that it is against our social law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But. God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. He has made the connection that that sheet full of animals has nothing to do with food and everything to do with the people that he is calling. God is calling Peter to minister to these Gentiles. So when I was sent for, I came without resisting or objection. So now, can I know why you sent for me? And Cornelius begins to recount his story. Hey, I was praying. I had a vision. An angel said, send to Joppa to get this guy Peter. And so that's what I've done. So now we're here. We're listening. What do you have to tell us? Verse 34. So Peter began to speak. (laughs) I now realize how true it is. This is Peter's gospel message to these people who are waiting with bated breath to hear what he has to say. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and who does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of all. He's referring to the fact that they must have heard this, that the news of Jesus' is spread, regardless of what people thought about it, many people had heard about it. You've heard all of these things. You know the message, verse 36, that God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of all. You know what has happened Throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And you know how he went out doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. Well, I want you to know that we are witnesses of everything that he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him. Interestingly, he's speaking to Cornelius, who's a Roman centurion, and he's using the word they. They killed him, Rome, by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by the witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And as we have pointed out in in other sermons, and were radically transformed by it. I think that the greatest testimony to the risen Jesus Christ was the transformed lives of his disciples. Men and women who were terrified they were going to get somehow wrapped up in what happened to Jesus suddenly being willing to lay down their lives. I don't know anybody who's willing to die for a lie. Verse 42. He commanded us, Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And all the prophets testify testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, I suspect that Peter's just getting started, that if given the opportunity, Peter would have probably gone on for three or four more chapters sharing about the good news But something unexpected happens. God shows up and interrupts Peter's gospel sharing. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. This gathered group of men and women in Cornelius' family, these Gentiles. And the circumcised believers, which is just another word for saying the Jews that were with Peter, The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. This is our spirit. This is our God. And He's giving them the same thing He's given us. And they knew this because they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And suddenly Peter and these these Jews are going, What is going on? I haven't even asked them if they wanted to pray a prayer. I haven't even baptized them. This is totally out of order. And this is the only time, by the way, we see this happening in Scripture where where God just kind of goes, they're mine. And I'm going to show you. The the hardest part here, the the hardest hearts, the people that God needs to convince the most is not Cornelius and his family. Do you realize that the people he's having to convince is Peter and the other Jews? He's trying to show them, they are my people just as much as you are my people. I don't play favorites. And so I'm going to take this a little little bit out of order and I'm going to give him the Holy Spirit right now. And Peter and the Jews are just standing there mouth agape as they're watching these Gentiles worshiping God in other languages. Now, when's the last time you remember people being filled with the spirit and then beginning to speak in other languages? This is the interactive portion. Then they were in the upper room, right? Pentecost. That that first day, right when the Holy Spirit first showed up on the disciples, do you realize that it's happening the same way? And I think that that's intentional for Peter and the other disciples to see. God is expressing that the, the same spiritual gifting that he gives to these Gentile believers is the same one that he gave to Peter and the other apostles gathered in the upper room because he's letting them know they are my people as well. Then Peter said, verse 47, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. I mean, they already received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days, and he did. He stayed there in Caesarea, probably sharing more of the gospel, encouraging them, being encouraged by them. And while that's happening, news begins to spread throughout the Jewish community. That Peter is staying with Gentiles. That Peter has baptized Gentiles. Uncircumcised Gentiles. Gentiles who have not gone through all the ritual purifications of Judaism in order to be declared ceremonially clean. And naturally, as with any movement that is different from what we understand, people are reticent and they are confused. And they push back. So the apostles and the believers, this is chapter 11. We're just going to do a few verses here. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, those who are Jews and have done all of the ritualistic cleansings, the circumcised believers criticized him. And they said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? Oh, Peter. Then verse four, starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I'm not going to go over it because it's repetition, but suffice it to say, Peter says, I was, I was sitting on the corner of the house praying. I had this vision. I saw the animals come down in the sheet. I heard the voice. say, kill and eat. I go, no way. And he says, yes way. Kill and eat. Because do not call anything unclean that I have made clean. And then suddenly these guys show up and say, an angel told us to come with you. And the voice says, go with them. So I went with them. And then I begin to share the gospel with them. And I got interrupted. I love this. I'm going to just read it because it's awesome. Verse 15. As I began to speak. This is verse 15 of chapter 11. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come upon us at the beginning on Pentecost. Then I remembered what the Lord had said john baptized with water but you will be baptized with the holy spirit and sure enough this happened to these guys and so if god gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the lord jesus christ who was i to think that i could stand in god's way good mindset peter great posture well when these jews heard this they had no further objections And they praised God saying, so so even the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And suddenly Jesus' promise that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Check. Judea. Check. Samaria. Check. And to the ends of the earth, this is suddenly becoming bigger as the Jews recognize that God does not play favorites. So a couple of things that I want to point out as we wrap this up this morning. Number one is that that God does not play favorites. Peter was in a society that said we need to remain segregated based upon our culture and our creed, and this is how we will survive. And they believed that God had called them his special people, and he had, but they'd forgotten the number one reason that he had called them to be his special people, to be his representatives to the rest of the world. Because every man, woman, and child that has ever had breath in their lungs and ever walked this earth is made in the image of God. We are all the work of His hands, and He loves every single one of us, despite the fact that some of us will never accept that gift of love. And what He was teaching Peter through this episode is the same thing that Paul recognized and would articulate years later when he wrote the Gospel, um, not the Gospel, but the, the book, to the the letter to the city in Galatia. And he would write in there, listen, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female in God's economy because we are all one in Jesus Christ. Now what he is not suggesting in that is that our gender or our culture or our skin color or our upbringing has no bearing on our lives that it has no value. He's not saying that. What he is saying is that when God looks at us, when God considers using us, our value in God's eyes is not dictated by any of those things. It is a level playing field and God does not play favorites. So he loves Gentiles like you and I. Most of us in here are Gentile by upbringing. There are a few men and women who are part of that original stock of Judaism. And amen. I'm so glad that you're here, Frankie. And there are others. But, thankfully, we have been grafted into that same vine and we get to just as much, because of the cross, be called sons and daughters of God. That's what Paul recognized and that is what Peter was learning, that God doesn't play favorites. So neither should we. It is not our place To simply reject somebody because they look different from us, or because they were raised differently from us, or because their sins are different from ours. Yes, God doesn't love sin, but He still loves every single one of us, and I will be the first to say we are all sinners. I don't know all of you, but I know you enough to say that you are a sinner, and so am I. And the reason we're here is because we need a Savior. And so the job for us is to simply extend Jesus Christ to people and then let Him and the Holy Spirit work those other things out. But if we begin to think the Holy Spirit can't go to that person, God can't use that person, God will reject that person, we're on really shaky ground there. That's the first thing. The second thing is best epitomized. Now I get to play with Plato. Because come on, that's that's really all you were worried about this morning is what on earth is Plato for? I have two things of Plato. I just grabbed them this morning. Um, and these pretty much sum up what Plato looks like in our household. This first one is what I would call like the, the Frankenstein monster Plato. It's not pretty. It's the, the conglomeration of lots of different colors that just get shoved into the can, right? Because my boys just like to throw things in. And yet what I love about Play-Doh is just how easy it is to mold and manipulate. And you, you know what? The other one, so that's one type of Play-Doh. That's pretty much all the Play-Doh in my house, except for this other type, which is uniform in color, which is nice. But if you could feel it, not so play doh is it? It's kind of, it's kind of like, I call this more like play rock. And this is the other half of the Play-Doh vials I have at our our house because my boys often forget, or or Kathy's other boy, me, um, will forget to put the cap back on and it starts drying out. And, And... Although it looks good, it's not very usable anymore because we can't mold it into something. If I were trying to mold it, I'll, I'll, you'll see what happens is it starts to crack and break, and it's like, okay, well, that's not going to be very fun. And I feel like these two types of Plato perfectly epitomize something that we learned through this, and that is that Peter is like this type of Plato. Peter was teachable, he wasn't perfect, he was very impulsive. He made mistakes sometimes. He denied Jesus. And yet, even when God says kill any, He goes, no! God goes, don't call anything unclean that I have made clean. And Peter goes, oh, go with them. Okay. And unlike Jonah, Peter was willing to go to the Gentiles. And God begins to shape and mold Peter into a vessel that he can use to pour out his love. And Peter became a a receptacle of Jesus' love that then God poured him out or poured that truth out through him and the Holy Spirit showed up that day in Caesarea and the Gentiles began to experience the Holy Spirit because Peter was teachable. Peter was flexible. Peter listened. Now, in contrast, you have this good-looking play rock that, that's really not good for a whole lot. And I think that this probably would be a good symbol for the men and women who should have been the very people that God used to pour out that truth. The Pharisees should have been the ones. They were the ones who knew their Scripture backward and forward, had studied it their whole lives. And yet they had become so hardened by their education, so convinced, that they were right, that they lost their pliability. They lost their ability to be shaped and molded. Jesus told that, that story about, you, you know, you don't take a new patch and, and, and put it onto old clothes because that patch will shrink up and it'll tear it will tear your clothes. And you don't take new wine and stick it into old wine skins because the new wine is effervescent and it will literally burst the old wine skins and the skins will be broken and the wine will pour out. And that symbolizes those Pharisees who knew a whole lot, and yet they were unpliable, inflexible, unteachable. And when you have a play rock like this, it's good for one of two things, either as a sermon illustration (laughs) or to be tossed in the trash. Now, could I rehabilitate this? Maybe. Maybe. But I'll tell you what it's going to take. It's going to take probably submersing this in water, making it feel like it's going to drown. It's going to take m- working it and manipulating it for hours, which is probably, like, if we were this, Plato, would not feel comfortable. And there are some of us in here this morning who are a little bit like this. In fact, you know what? Before I go there, let me talk about myself for a second because any time that I, I speak, I go, well, what do I need to learn through this? God, what are you, t- you trying to tell me? And so I asked... I, I, I asked the question this week, okay, well, am I teachable? And then as God often does, he doesn't give me a yes or no answer. He gives me an opportunity to find out. So yesterday morning, I'm sitting with a friend over breakfast and this friend proceeds to tell me that something I said hurt and offended him. And he proceeds to tell me, and and I will tell you everything in you went, you know, there was this desire to explain, well, here's my reason, and that's not what I meant, and to defend myself. Because I, 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 I'd love to say, I, I didn't think I was in the wrong, and I, didn't, and I didn't even want to broach that, because that wasn't my desire to hurt you or to offend you. I love you. And yet, that desire to defend myself made me incapable of listening to what he was saying. It hindered me from hearing the heart and then being able to then take what he shared with me, whether it was just or not, whether it was true or not, at least it hindered me from hearing what he had to say and then prayerfully going, God, what do I need to learn from this? And I don't think I did it very well yesterday morning, but throughout the day, I continued to think about some of the things that he said and the Holy Spirit, thankfully, began to to work out. I'm probably closer to here, by the way, but he began to work out Some of those hard patches. Sprinkle a little bit of the spirit onto some of those areas of of pride and going, you know what? You need to let go of that. You need to let go of that right to feel that you are right. Because there's something you need to hear here. This is what I want to be. I want to be putty in our master's hands so that he, he can shape and mold me into any tool that he wants to use to advance his purpose and his plans. So I ask you the same question as I wrap up. I'm going to invite Pete and the worship team up. Where are you at? Are you teachable? And I don't want you to try to answer that question now. If you genuinely genuinely want to know, why don't you ask God and He'll probably give you an opportunity to find out. But that's my prayer for us, is that we would be teachable. Now, a couple of things. First off, this morning as we go into a time of, of offering of offering ourselves. Some of you, some of you have something more to offer. God may have a purpose and a plan and I know for a fact that we have people outside of our church walls that God is calling us to minister to and he wants to shape us into vessels to be used. In fact, he's been shaping many of you into a vessel to be used by him and you're just waiting for that call up. Well, here it is. We need your help. Because something God has been teaching me this week is that our church cannot run by Lee and I and Chris and the other people on staff making it work. All we can bring is what God has entrusted to us to bring, but there is not enough of us to change the face of our community. But that's not our purpose. Our purpose is to equip you to be vessels to pour out God's love. And so I ask you, Would you get into the game? Would you invite the Spirit to say, here's where I want you. And if you are interested, we have an outreach team that is getting together on a regular basis and going, how can we begin to minister? And I would ask you to prayerfully consider, would you be willing to jump onto that team and begin to cast vision for how we as a church respond? Many of you don't know this, but our vision as a church this year, our purpose statement is branching out which means looking beyond the walls of this church. And I will confess that six months in, we haven't done a very good job of that yet. That's why we chose the book of Acts. And I would ask you to consider, would you be willing to play a part? And if so, on that connection card, write down your name and say that you'd be interested. And I or one of those team members, probably those team members, is going to contact you. We're going to get to know you and we're going to invite you to to play. Now, some of you this morning also just go, man, I, I just carrying something really heavy in here and I need somebody to pray with. I want you to know, Lee and I are always available, but quite honestly, we're always being pulled a lot of different directions and there are lots of people who are just as if not more capable of coming alongside of you and praying with you. And so I'd like to have uh, my elders in particular stand up right now for just a moment. If you're an elder, stand up here. And Liz, and, and spouses, please, because you guys are elder couples. So John and Liz, would you guys come up here? Rich, Joyce, why don't you guys go back there? Byron, Diane, why don't you go back there? We have others. Hey, Fippers, how's your girl? How's she feeling? She's here? Terry's here. So for all y'all up there, you guys got lucky because Tom and Terry are up there. If you have something that you need somebody to pray with for you, these are just some of, but these are some stinking good people to have. Just go to see them today. I use stinking, it is a superlative, not a pejorative, okay? It is a, it, they, I love them. Okay? So they're available to pray with you. And we're going to start doing this on a regular basis, just making them available. All right, I am way over time. Let's go ahead and bow our heads. In just a moment, we're going to take offering. And you can just stick those slips. If you have a prayer request, you can write that down, whatever. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that although we are sinners, you don't call us sinners, you call us saints. Because we've been saved. By the blood that you shed on the cross. And you don't only call us saints, but then you send us out to be your representatives. And yes, you have to work on us and you have to shape us and we're imperfect. But I hope that we can be imperfect like Peter and at least be teachable. Would you help us to avoid becoming dry and crusty and useless in your hands? Jesus, for your name's sake and for your kingdom's sake and for others' sake who don't even know that you are their Father who loves them and desires relationship with them. We pray these things. Amen.